We have a banner which can, we can hang our entire subject underneath and it comes from Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. And it says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. It's a statement about the purpose of the coming of the Lord Jesus and its impact. And it's framed with this statement um, that um, we have been redeemed by him. He has redeemed those who are under law. I'm not going to refer back to that verse, but if ever you have uh, a thought about redemption, have Galatians 4 and 4 in your head, because I just think it's a key statement. Redemption is a uh, thrilling doctrine. It's uh, entirely unique to Christianity. You know, there was a, a comment made recently, um, I forget whose company I was in, but they were making the point that... Um, you know, how can you make a judgment about another religion when you only know Christianity? That's a really good question, isn't it? If I don't know about um, Buddhism or uh, Islam or whatever it might be, how can I make a judgment about it? Seems very reasonable. And I think the answer is about truth. There is only one truth. And when we have discovered the truth, it's a legitimate thing to say, well, I'm not really interested in anything else because this is the truth. And if there's something else is different, then it's not the truth, because there is only one truth. Um, I think that's quite a powerful argument. Redemption is unique to uh, Christianity. I don't think there is another concept in any other faith that talks about a God of love redeeming um, his people. And that's really what, what we're into. So it's a thrilling doctrine. It's entirely unique to Christianity, and when you grasp it, it stirs your heart into gratitude and worship and love. It's a, here's a statement. Redemption is something invented by God that helps me understand how much he loves me. Redemption is a concept or doctrine invented by God that helps me understand how much um, he loves me and the consequence of my appreciation of that is I love him in return and it inspires Christian commitment it's a key topic for us to understand and it's not complicated um, and when we understand it and have our attention arrested by it then it has a big impact I'd like to give you some homework um, and it's not, it's not difficult, but I would really encourage you to do it. I did it myself last night, and it probably took me about 15 minutes. The homework is to read in one sitting the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters. And then to make chapter four of Ruth, the last chapter, make sense, you also need to look at Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25, which are two chapters where God lays down rules about redemption. Um, so that's your homework. The whole book of Ruth takes about 10 minutes and then Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25 to join up the dots. So my message today, I'm going to hang on four Ps 
uh, under the title redemption it's the principle I think we need to understand the principle um, price is really important when it comes to redemption um, product what is the result of it and prospect were um, what's the consequence in the long term for this so principle price product and prospect in my old age I've suddenly become um, a fan of cash converters <laughs> you never would have thought that would you I, um, I kind of um, never really paid any attention to cash converters but it's uh, I think a modern day pawn shop so um, you know you can get money for your stuff and go and buy it back if you want so that's redemption um, or if you forget about it or um, can't afford to buy it back, then someone else will come and buy it. And that's how the business works. So redemption is kind of um, in our culture, even though it's seen as a religious <coughs> term. And uh, I've had some really good deals from cash converters, but that's not for today. Let's, uh, in talking about the principle, let's go to our first reading, which is First Peter chapter 1. And we'll read verses 17 to 21. So Peter's writing to the community of churches, uh, churches of God, and um, he's making statement after statement about doctrinal truth. And verse 17 says, Since you call on a father who judges man's each work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Um, we'll refer back to those verses um, in a few minutes in relation to price. But there is an element, it's kind of a fundamental part of um, Christian doctrine, is that we have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus. He paid the price. But to properly understand the principle of redemption, I would like us to go to the book of Ruth. Um, obviously, haven't got time to read it, but I, I really do believe that the book of Ruth appears in the Old Testament canon to help us understand, amongst other things, the wonder of redemption. Um, it's great that the Old Testament is full of um, real-life stories that happened because they're an illustration of something that God wanted to teach us. And we've been there with Exodus, haven't we? All the detail that we're enjoying in Exodus, each detail has a purpose. And my contention this morning is that the story of Ruth, as it's recorded for us, is there, amongst other things, to help us to understand the wonder of redemption. I'll give you a kind of potted um, content of the story. Um, it's about a, a wealthy family. Naomi is the wife and Elimelech is the husband. And they have two boys, Marwan and Kilion. And they live in Bethlehem. It's quite interesting that you say a word like Bethlehem in the Old Testament and all of a sudden it comes to life because 
um, we know Bethlehem for Christmas time. And Bethlehem is where Joseph and Mary went to register Jesus because that was their origin. And actually, the hometown, their origin, stems from the story of Ruth, as we will see. So wealthy family, mum and dad, two boys, um, they live in Bethlehem, but there's a famine. So I can imagine that um, they said, there's nothing here. Uh, we've got enough to get us to Moab. It's uh, another country, a neighbouring country, where there's no famine. Let's go there and we'll, we'll live there for as long as it takes for um, the famine to be resolved in Judah, in Bethlehem, and then we'll come back. So the family go to um, this neighbouring country called Moab. Um, they stay there for quite a long time and the boys grow up and get married. And they marry local ladies, so Moabite women. Orpah and Ruth were their two wives. Um, the famine in... Uh, sorry, while, while, they're, while they're there in Moab, tragedy strikes. So unfortunately, Elimelech, that's Naomi's husband, and their two sons, they all die in quick succession. Leaving um, Orpah, Naomi with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, and there are no children at this point. So you have um, a widow and her, um, can I say, foreign daughters-in-law living in a foreign land um, and pretty tragic, sad situation, having lost all of the men in their lives and their family. So Naomi says, well, there's nothing for me here. Um, I believe the famine is now resolved in Judah, in Bethlehem. That's where my home is. I'm going to go back there. Um, she's pretty much poverty-stricken by this point. They still have land back in Bethlehem, but have no means to develop it. So she has, says to Orpah and Ruth, um, there's nothing for you in my country. Um, you'd be foreigners there. So you stay here, you're young women, find new husbands, and, um, you know, God bless you. And Orpah goes her way, and uh, Ruth refuses. And such is her commitment and her love for her mother-in-law that um, she comes out with this statement, which is very famous. She says to Naomi, I entreat, entreat me not to leave you or to turn away from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my, my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there also will I be buried. It's a wonderful statement of um, commitment from a foreign national daughter-in-law to um, this uh, Jewess, Naomi, in this foreign place, and in a very sad situation. So Ruth can't be persuaded, so the two, the two of them leave Moab and set off for Bethlehem. And they're penniless. Um, now, at this stage, because Elimelech died, naturally his estate would be left to his sons. And then his sons have, have died. So the reality is that the land actually belongs to Ruth, the wife of one of the late sons. But that's a bit academic because they have no means to develop the land. Um, there was a rule in Israel, and this is what you can read about in um, 
Deuteronomy and Leviticus 25, those two chapters, there was a rule at the time that under these circumstances, um, there was an opportunity for a wealthy family member, and the, the fam such a family member is called a next of kin, so we're familiar to that. There was an opportunity, if he so chose, no obligation, but if he so chose, he could um, buy the land of the um, deceased man um, so he would realise capital from the land and give it to the family. But in the process, he would also have to take on the widow of the deceased man as his own wife. Um, and there was a pecking order. So you had a next of kin who was had the first refusal on this deal. Um, and then presumably um, as those opportunities were turned down, other people were able to take it on. So that's the, the storyline uh, we're coming into. Um, now, Ruth and Naomi, they had no expectation of, of um, what was called a kinsman <coughs> redeemer. Um, they didn't expect anyone to step up and do this thing. It, it wasn't, as I say, an obligation. It was a, an opportunity if the kinsman redeemer so chose. So they're left with, with nothing and they just have to beg for food. In fact, what uh, Ruth does is she goes to, um, it's harvest time, she goes and follows the people who are harvesting the barley and she picks up the scraps and works all day um, and um, brings back home what she's gathered. So really dire situation um, in terms of the poverty that they were in. However, the field that she chose to do this in <coughs> happened to belong to a man called Boaz. And Boaz was very kind to her. He didn't know her, but I think you get the impression that he was just a real good egg. And uh, he saw the, the poverty and the difficult situation. And so he inquired as to who she was. And um, as God's plan or coincidence would have it, Boaz turns out to be a kinsman redeemer for Naomi once removed. And uh, when he discovers this, of course, he shows extra kindness, but he didn't have the first call on the, the redemption. Um, that was another person. So he instructs um, his harvesters to you know, allow more barley than usual to drop so that um, Ruth would get... Um, a good picking from it. And that's where we break into the story. So we'll go to um, Ruth chapter 4 and read the first 11 verses. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer, that's the guy who has first refusal, uh, he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I would bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said, 
Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property. At this the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalising transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property, so that his name may not disappear from among his family or from town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Um, what a blessing that those um, elders in the town issued to Boaz, that you may be famous in, in Bethlehem. Little did they know just how famous um, he would become. Um, I meant to mention at the start, this story happens at the time of the judges. So this is pre-kings in Israel. In fact, it's two generations pre-kings because um, the punchline in the story is um, Ruth and Boaz, they, they marry and their son is Jesse and Jesse is the father of King David. And therein introduces the the line of the Lord himself. So just an amazing story. I wanted to kind of draw out, we're on P for principles. Um, what was the purpose of redemption? Well, it was to solve a problem. And um, in the story of, of Ruth, we have this lovely illustration. The problem is threefold. Um, the first problem is really slavery. Um, they were because of their circumstances, limited to, um, to hard labour, if you like, to be able to scrape a living. The consequence, inevitable consequence usually of slavery, is poverty. So, um, you know, that, that was the situation. And ultimately, it's, it's death. And this is... Um, kind of being estranged, complete discontinuity. We're talking about the purpose of redemption and several times even in that short passage we've read, it was that the, the name of the family might continue with the land. So the problem here is that Elimelech and his sons, their the memory and the um, position in Israel would completely melt away and disappear because there would be no longer any land in Bethlehem associated with that family. So redemption was designed under these very difficult circumstances to bring a family otherwise um, confined to slavery and the poverty that comes, back, comes as a consequence of that and to lift them into a position where their name there would be continuity of their name and it wouldn't die out. 
there were some qualifications for the kinsman redeemer, the person who was eligible to do this. Number one is he had to be a blood relative. That's where the kinsman thing comes in. Um, second is he had to be able. So clearly if the um, kinsman redeemer didn't have the money, then there was no way that he could buy the land. In our story, the first in line uh, next of kin seemed like he was a wealthy guy and he did have the wherewithal. Which brings us to the third point. They had to be a blood relative, they had to be able and they had to be willing. And he wasn't willing. Um, he felt that taking on Ruth and um, this new family would be a liability and put his own um, security at risk. Um, and then there was the price. It's really interesting in the story of Ruth, you never get to hear what the price was. But when you read uh, Leviticus uh, and Deuteronomy 25, there's quite a lot stated about the price. In fact, there's a, a formula um, given as to how you might calculate the value of a piece of property that was being redeemed. And it's all to do with something called a jubilee, which happened every 50 years when it seems like um, someone pressed the reset button and um, the people were only ever renting the land. And after 50 years, they would kind of reset all those contracts. So depending on how close you were to the year of Jubilee, um, that, that governed how much value there was in the land. But I'm curious that in the story of Ruth, which is our laying down the principle for redemption, there's no mention of price. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second. So in terms of this principle, um, maybe you've already arrived at the point, but there's some lovely parallels, isn't there? We said it's uh, to solve the problem of slavery, poverty and death. And of course, um, the Christian story is about our redemption, our rescue from the impact of sin. We're slaves to sin. And from a spiritual point of view, the inevitable consequence of sin is poverty. And the ultimate um, effect of sin and the spiritual poverty that it brings is that complete discontinuity. It's death. It's separation from God. Um, the kinsman redeemer, he had to be a blood relative. And that speaks to us as we were remembering in the remembrance this morning of the importance of the incarnation of the Lord. We'll come back to that in a second. He's um, been made like his brothers. He had to be able. Uh, we'll come back to that as well. And he had to be willing. Um, and also we'll come back to the price. So just going back to our first Peter verse, um, I wanted to pull out verse 20. It says he was chosen... That's the Lord as our Redeemer was chosen before the creation of the world. I said at the beginning, redemption was a concept or a doctrine designed by God to help me understand how much he loves me. And this isn't something that just emerged because of the problem of sin. Uh, the Lord was chosen in this context of being our Redeemer before the creation of the world. This is part of the um, eternal, divine, sovereign plan um, for mankind and all creation. Um, and before time, 
the Lord was chosen to be our Redeemer. Let's think a little bit more about the price. That um, absolute value which we don't read about in the story of Ruth. Again, going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. Isn't it strange that um, silver and gold are described as being perishable? Um, when they actually, gold in particular, is um, probably the most imperishable um, material that there is around. And of course it's not talking about um, the robustness of, of these things physically. Um, the reality is they are earthbound things. And just like the earth has a limited life, so they will. So they're perishable in the, in the sense that one day this earth will be destroyed and they'll have no value. Um, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. Isn't that a wonderful contrast? It's, it's uh, the contrast between the physical and the, the spiritual. And of course, we're talking about the physical blood of Christ, but it was, um, has an eternal spiritual impact. And um, it's not perishable, rather it's imperishable, or the uh, spiritual effect it has on us. There's a couple of um, very familiar verses that it's worth referring to. Psalm 49. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. That he should live on forever and see, not, see no decay. So um, a field is one thing. Um, inheriting and, and preserving the name of a family is another thing. But when it comes to the redemption of a life, the rescue of a sinful life from all of the impact of sin, um, it's so costly that no payment is ever enough. No man can do that. Romans 6 and 23, for the wages of sin is death. Um, Ezekiel 18 and 4, famous verse, the soul who sins, it shall die. These are the inevitable consequence. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish and defect, that we were purchased. There's um, an appeal at this point, I know, I know where we all stand in terms of uh, understanding and having accepted, understanding redemption and having accepted the Lord Jesus as our Redeemer. But when you see the, the value he puts on us and the price that he was prepared to pay and this wonderful concept of um, the Redeemer, our response has to be simply to thank him. And I know that we've all done that. 
Let's think about the blood relative, Hebrews 2 verse 17. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. It was the purpose for him coming to earth. There was uh, the principle as God lays out in the Old Testament and through the story of Ruth is that he had to be um, from among men. He has to be one who is able. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away sin. In him is no sin. So the only way that sin could be effectively dealt with is if someone sinless who had no sins to pay for of his own was prepared or was able to, to pay the, the, the ransom price. And of course, one who is willing. Um, Hebrews 9 and 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God? who through the eternal spirit offered himself. That's a wonderful statement about our Redeemer being willing. So he was um, a blood relative, um, a real human being. He was one who is able by virtue of his perfect perfection. And he was one who was willing. He offered himself. Let's quickly look at the product. Um, really quite simple the problem is slavery poverty and death the product is freedom riches and life um, transforming our lives through redemption um, going back to our story it says then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people today I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess Marlon's widow as my wife that's a really special word acquired um, you know it's got it's got all kinds of implications when you acquire something um, and you've paid for it it's because you want it um, and you seek it out um, you then negotiate the price and you pay you pay the money and um, Boaz is saying in the in the presence of the, the elders of the people today, I have acquired Ruth the Moabite uh, as my wife. My mind goes to 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Um, something perhaps we should be thinking about every day, <coughs> that he's acquired me at great cost. And he's acquired me because he wants me to be free and to be spiritually wealthy and to have life as opposed to slavery, poverty and death. Here's an interesting dimension to the whole thing, Acts 20 verse uh, 28. And it's Paul to the Ephesus overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's transforming our discussion about redemption from the individual, which it is, into the collective. It's the church of God. And um, he's encouraging, instructing the elders in Ephesus to be shepherds of the church of God, which he, that's the Lord Jesus, purchased, redemption, purchased with his blood. Um, so really important for us to get that concept integrated into our thoughts about redemption, that it's about individuals and it's about people. Um, 
Another verse from Ruth. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up, built up the house of Israel. Um, what was the, um, the impact, the product? It's what we're talking about. It was the intimacy that Ruth had with her redeemer Boaz was fabulous productivity. Literally, in the in the uh, circumstances, they ultimately produced the line of kings right up to uh, the Lord. I don't think it was uh, easy for both both sides. Uh, this relationship. She was a foreigner, and um, he was a wealthy man. And you have again, it's the reason why we really need to we really need to read the booth, the book of Ruth in one sitting is you get a lovely sense of the relationship that is evolving between these two people. But it's not easy. Uh, last point is, in terms of the, the product, this was a critical piece of God's plan. Um, it was a relationship that came together through this amazing concept of redemption that ultimately would produce the Messiah. Um, the one who was... Um, flesh and blood enabling him to become the redeemer of all mankind isn't it isn't it wonderful to think that um, individual circumstances in this case a long time ago but just with you know um, humble people they were critical and their story was critical to God's plan and I think we can take that away again Ephesians 2 and 10, I'm sure we know it, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, the product of our redemption is that we fulfill his expectations of us. The reason why he has chosen us and gifted us and called us to be where we are, and it all starts with our appreciation of our redemption. And finally, on to prospect, just two verses. Prospect is about future. Both verses are prophetic from Isaiah. Go to chapter 62 first and verse 11. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. See, your Saviour comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. It's a lovely expression, the redeemed of the Lord, and it brings to us this collective point again, that as his people we are the redeemed of the Lord, and we're described as his reward and his recompense. Um, this is a prospect that the Lord has um, when the redeemed of the Lord, that is his, um, the church which is his body, is presented to him at a future time. And then a very favourite chapter of mine is Isaiah 35, for reasons which you'll see when I read it to you. Verse 8. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing, 
Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Um, What a prospect um, for us, the redeemed of the Lord, um, to be in an environment where um, there'll be singing, there'll be no sorrows, there'll be no sighing, and something called everlasting joy will be on their heads. (laughs) And... um, of course, my mind's already gone to the chorus. Uh, Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord will return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads. What a prospect is ours because of this amazing concept, doctrine, um, redemption defined by God to enable me to understand how much He loves me. Shall we pray?